0: The origins of modern trucking came from disruption. What began as a highly regulated industry in the 1930s gave way to a battle royale after deregulation in the early 80s. The battle was fierce. After the dust settled, the trucking industry transformed from a unionized stable profession into a pay per mile race to the bottom, with driver wages becoming the first casualty. The current trucking model relied on a pool of workers and equipment to cover demand with carrier competition keeping prices and wages low. Recent supply chain disruption laid bare the downsides of chasing the bottom line, with nationwide wage competition providing more attractive jobs compared to driving long haul. Potential new drivers taking other jobs coupled with high turnover rates created a situation where both drivers and equipment are in short supply. Is this the only solution left to buy both drivers and equipment to grow? Or can trucking innovate in the face of disruption? We find out on this episode of Loaded and Rolling. This Loaded and Rolling episode was made possible by our sponsor, Emerge. Focused on empowering and growing meaningful supply chain relationships, Emerge is proud to sponsor the Loaded and Rolling community. Through its freight procurement platform, Emerge offers solutions that enhance the spot and contract procurement process, enabling shippers to make the most strategic decisions possible. Learn more at www.emergemarket.com. Welcome to Loaded and Rolling. I'm your host, Thomas Watson. You hear it in the news, the trucking industry is on a buying spree.
1: Well, I mean, there's just, there's several announcements just from this month. I've got a short list here. Uh, We've got Hirschbach uh, acquiring John Christian Truckning, Covenant Transportation with AAT Carrier, uh, Marist with Pilot Freight, Keenan and Advantage with K Limited Carriers, Brown Bear Transportation with Abenaki Carriers. That's one of ours. And, of course, uh, the big daddy of them all, uh, the announcement yesterday with Cummins and uh, Meritor, $3.7 billion transaction. So, yes, uh, very active um, in just four very short weeks in February
0: by multiple quarters of record earnings, low interest rates, and consumer demand, trucking companies are in a race to gain market share. Most people understand that trucking requires drivers and equipment, but little is known about the relationship between trucking and the companies that invest in them. For publicly traded trucking companies, this becomes especially important as a failure in investor confidence can lead to a failure in the business. The largest bankruptcy in truckload history is expected any day. An internal source tells FreightWaves that Indianapolis-based Celadon Group will file for bankruptcy protection under Chapter 11. 3,500 employees of the publicly traded company could lose their jobs. Seldon currently has more than 2,600 trucks in its fleet and has been in business since 1985. According to court filings, Canadian trucking company FTI owed more than $18 million to U.S. creditors when it filed for bankruptcy back in September. It's not that easy to say the least. Given the risks involved, can a trucking company grow or are market forces and investor pressures forcing them to buy? Joining us to talk about these pressures are Shannon Breen and John Gamiro, founders of the logistics tech startup Freightvana. Before founding Freightvana, Shannon and John were both veterans from Knight Swift, and they both have an extensive background in asset-based trucking at the executive level. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks
2: for having us,
1: Thomas. Hey,
0: Thomas. Thank you, guys. To start things off, we'll, we'll go to Shannon first, given your experiences at Knight Swift. How hard is it for a trucking company to grow nowadays in the face of like 95%?
2: Well, I just think you're seeing um, a lot of the market pressures start to build up. And from a sequencing perspective, that trend has been happening for some time, right? So the the large asset-based companies continue to struggle to hire, um, continue to have shrinking fleets. Uh, something that I find interesting uh, is they really ever talk about their actual fleet size, right? So a lot of times when we're following those institutions, it's hard to track their level of success because the reality is they they often just highlight how many trucks they own, not how many trucks are seated. And so I think that's a an interesting topic, something we can I'm, I'm sure uh, talk through, Thomas. Uh, I know your passion, um, and I'm sure John has some thoughts on it as well. But I. I think uh, it's never been harder from a hiring perspective on the carrier side. Um, And then, you know, from the momentum that we're seeing in the market, uh, clearly people are looking for good deals, um, which is uh, another interesting topic with equipment prices and and all the moving parts that the industry is currently kind of dealing with. So
0: I like the point that especially it's hard enough to see working tractor percentages inside the company. It's especially hard to find out as an investor. I'm buying this equity. Is it really working? Uh, John, from your experiences with M&As as well, you used to be an analyst with uh, some large investment. You know, How do you even delve through some of this when they're not even giving you all the information? Uh,
1: on the public side, um, you, you've got the ability to see top-line revenue. You can follow rates. You can see what's happening. Um, but in terms of really understanding the, the fundamental economics... Uh, the public, the public entities have pulled back on how much how much they share, um, so it is it is rather difficult uh, to be able to, to do that. I want to piggyback on what you asked on how how do they how do they look to grow in this environment? Part of the thing, Thomas, that you'll see as well is there are certain carriers that allow um, more of their their cost structure to remain variable. You look at a Landstar over the last year and a half. Their rates and their rates to to their partners have climbed at a level that the the company models right the largest carriers that have company drivers they can't afford um, to move and fluctuate at that level on driver pay. So while they have touted very large right 10, 15, even 20 percent driver pay increases, that's not going to match in lockstep with the underlying spot market. And part of it is what drives the 95% turnover that that you talk about, and that's a dynamic that you can squint and see in the market, but you're never going to be able to see in the public financials and the details uh, that they break down.
0: Driver pay is a tricky subject, like you said. Uh, we talk about rolling out pay packages. 10 to 15% could literally be like five cents per mile for some of these folks. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm really curious about, because especially like Shannon, next question regarding that diving into this. Um, do you feel like how, how do you raise driver pay then pass it off to the customer? Are fleets in a position where they're just kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place?
2: They are because, hey, it's similar to, you know, non-driver pay. One of the hardest things to do is to pull back on compensation. Right. And so to John's point, there are companies that we've worked with and are working with that, that have nice um, and sound variable pay models. But from a fixed pay perspective, you can imagine how difficult it will be uh, when the heat of this market does uh, start to cool off on having conversations where you're going to pay people less. And so um, while it makes sense that you're bringing in the revenues, you're bringing in the profits, the conversation is still, okay, so what do you do in a different type of market? And for those of us that have been in this market or industry for over a decade, you've seen multiple shifts in the cycles. So um, not an easy answer on what to do there. Um, we've seen some hybrid miles models, models come, come to play um, that are very effective for retention strategies. Um, but, but what's really interesting when you get inside the walls of the trucking company, it's the companies that have the, 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 the sticky stuff, the non-financial uh, stuff, like the, the communication to their drivers, um, a, a, a term that consistently comes back if you, you pull drivers is respect. And so those companies that, that have that homegrown feel, that are really connecting and respecting their drivers seem to be outpacing the others, regardless of pay. Which it's really no different in the non-driving associates either, Thomas. Right? If you if you pull uh, employees that leave companies, typically pay is always fourth, fifth, or sixth on the list, and 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 the top four have nothing to do with compensation. So uh, I feel it is very similar in the driver space as well.
0: I think we see that a lot in terms of. The companies that are investing in messaging apps and stuff, digital outreach and ways to do it, are having better luck than the ones that still look at this like a monolithic structure. You know, we've touched a little bit upon the driver side. The equipment side is really interesting because not only the financing of it, but it's kind of like a chicken or the egg. If I wanted to start a company or if I wanted to make some moves, uh, this one's directed at John. Do I start with the drivers first or do I try to buy the trucks in advance given the situation right now?
1: Yeah, that's like, do you want to swallow the sword or do you want to swallow the sword while it's on fire? If you're looking to start a trucking company right now, um, equipment prices are as high as you can imagine. That's if you can get a slot. You look at equipment prices that have gone up 85, if not 100 percent year over year. And drivers um, that are fundamentally um, as difficult as veterans that have been in the industry for 30 years have, have seen it and it's, it's light years light years worse. I think some of that is temporary. Equipment prices will not stay that high. Um, you look forward two years from now, they won't be at those levels. Um, driver availability is an interesting one. I think there are a lot of folks that feel like the change you've seen in, in the freight markets, while everyone admits it is highly cyclical and it does change, there's a very good argument to be made that some of it um, will stay. Just like the changes you've seen in COVID with moves to work from home and lifestyle preferences, there are drivers that have left over the road trucking permanently. And while there are some measures that are being contemplated and, and different approaches to help broaden the base of who can come in, I don't think the jury is out on whether or not that's been solved. It, it hasn't and you're going to see that continue to be pressure. So you're staring at two very difficult variables in your equation today. And I think one will let up over time. And then the other is more nuanced around drivers. And when they come back in, I think it's going to continue uh, to put pressure on the markets and leave shippers in a place that um, they're trying to balance very difficult budgets um, for a couple of years to come.
0: Especially looking at shippers. I do think you guys are onto something when a new normal i hate using the term new normal it's such a horrible cliche thing but in terms of the relationship between the driver the trucking company and the shipper i think we're starting to see some trends um what and this is for shannon as well given given the situation with drivers uh, trucking schools can't even get you know fully folks aren't joining it um do you think this is potentially a signal of a new change and like maybe drivers are finally having to be priced appropriately and be
2: paid appropriately just to haul things? I think you are seeing, um, you know, uh, the, the change in pay drive uh, certain companies to be able to explore new opportunities to be able to retain their their fleets. Um, but, you know, honestly, from some experience, uh, some very experienced folks in this industry have said, hey, we don't have a driver problem, we have a pay problem, right? And I think part of that's the pay. I think part of it is is around transparency, too. I think it's very hard for... Uh, some larger fleets, especially in this market, right, that are hanging record profits and record margins. Um, and to your point, you know, a few cent pay increase doesn't really do it for a base of, of, of drivers that are seeing their peers, right? And this is what happens in this market, and it's happened time and time again, is when you get to the, the, the hyper-inflated uh, spot market times, which uh, from a shipper's perspective has been uh, the bane of their existence for the last two years now, um, the problem with that is you kind of hear the, the headwinds and the tailwinds, right? And so the, the the headwinds would be oh, all these challenges and COVID and driver recruiting and this. Um, but then at the same time, those same shippers are looking at the results of these institutions saying, "But you have record profits and record margins," and so something's not 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 matching up there. And so I think you're going to see an evolution. You're also seeing shippers just change their networks too. So depends on what type of driver jobs you're hiring for. Uh, the advent of just-in-time shipping um, and e-commerce has has really driven the regional networks uh, to a point where those are the really competitive jobs in the marketplace now. Uh, those jobs where you get to sleep in your bed every night and, and you have your, your, your CDL and you're driving for a company, um, but those jobs, especially in certain major markets, are so competitive um, I think they'll continue to be strong the question i think the big question is what we what happens with the longer haul of regular route trucking um and there seems to be less and less of those companies available um and the retention at those companies is struggling um percentage points higher than those that have the regional networks
0: i i like that point because pure play long haul appears to be in a weird spot and there's a lot of dangers uh when i used to work in trucking i joked that i worked for the dinosaurs and uh, I feel like one of the small mammals. It's like, it's getting a little warm in here, guys. Uh, you know, the fundamentals even prior to COVID it's something uh, is a lot of disruption. Looking at it as an investor point, such an interesting point to bring up. Y'all both were at, you know, upper levels of a large trucking company. Uh, and this question is for John. How big of an impact do investor things play? Like prefacing it, I play a clip of Celadon. Uh, apparently the stock went to crap when an investor analyst said, hold up, something's wrong, I'm smelling smoke. Is that something that is a very important thing that's considered in the upper upper ranks of trucking?
1: Yeah, I think it's impossible as a public company, um, whether you're trucking or not, to keep in mind, right? Your, your financial stability doesn't just rely on the assets that you have, your driver ranks, um, your balance sheet it also does rely on your your equity value and your your stock performance. And while you don't want that to be the tail that wags the dog, um, it would be imprudent to not keep in mind having a very sane, a a very put together story um, of how you're executing in the short, medium and long term. So the ones that do it and do it well, uh, they stay on a strategy and they execute on that. And they're very they're very forward with changes like driver dynamics, equipment availability. They talk through those and they work through them, but it absolutely is very present. And the ones that, that overdo it, they focus on um, profit within a single quarter and doing unusual, not, not illegal, but unusual things, right? They make strategic decisions for the one and three-month time frame. Um, the ones that do it really well balance it on a longer-term basis.
0: I like that point, short-term versus long-term thinking. And I think right now uh, the situation, not only with drivers and trucking companies and investors is, are we going to pursue short-term gains or are we going to pursue long-term results? Um, Looking at whether to buy or grow a fleet, we've kind of gone over the fact that turnover sucks. And so we're kind of in a situation. Do you guys, do you guys both believe and we'll start with Shannon that, the only solution right now, given the model is to buy, or is there anything on the horizon that y'all have, y'all work with carriers? Is there any better way of doing things right now or just fill the bucket?
2: I think for the bigger institutions, the, the purchasing will be. Now, you still have these companies that run between 400 and let's call it 1,000 trucks. And I think those are the inter- interesting candidates that are looking at acquiring businesses now. And, hey, I think the other part of that is they get access to new types of business, uh, dedicated business, maybe they get some team business, um, Hazmat. There's some specialties out there that those companies in that 400 to 1,000 that are really looking at to, to, to kind of supplement their their current operations uh, and gives them some access to maybe customers that they don't have in their Rolodex. So that's where we're seeing a tremendous amount of movement um, in the marketplace. Uh, for the larger carriers that, that have, you know, large uh, national footprints, you know, that's going to be a a harder pill to swell because here's the problem as you get larger and then you look to acquire maybe a trucking company with one or 200 trucks. It just doesn't move the needle enough to go back to John's point in the public markets, right? So if you've got two, three, 4,000 trucks and you get 200, that's that's like a footnote, right? That's not a a substantial change to your overall business. And so there's just an interesting time. So the bigger companies I think will be pressed to make even bigger deals or transition to other areas um, in trucking like LTL and like some other segments, um, but the the smaller guys, uh, let's call it that 400 to 1000 group, they're aggressively looking at finding those regional footprints or strategic footprints to grow.
0: That's a great point that you just brought up about especially the size and how they're going to do deal making. And so that's one thing I do want to kind of think get john's point of view as well is let's say, is it really that big a difference? Sam, the CEO of the 1,000 truck fleet versus 5,000. Do I really, am I going to really feel the heat that I just need to go in a whole new thing like LTL, buy up MME or something like that? Uh, are they forced to have to do that? Or is this something where, um, will you see anyone buy another 1,000 truck carrier? I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on what do you think the next steps are in this situation before the party yeah, stops? In,
1: yeah, I think in truckload compared to, to other modes of transportation, like compared to rail, Um, compared to the steamship lines, compared to LTL, Um, the top 10 carriers still own only about a 10th of the market. So it's to say it's still unbelievably fragmented across its ranks. Um, So while you can look to, to other verticals and to take your customer portfolio and extend that across different products and services, it adds operational complexity. Um, so you, you you've mentioned in some of your podcasts in the past that that m a does have its risks of not closing. You compound that when you look a, for going into a product line that you you don't already you don't already do. Um, I think what why you're seeing m a pick up so much right now as well is there is this belief that there is is more of a changing, a permanent change within the market, whether it's around equipment, drivers, or the lifestyle preferences, um, that you're not going to see as steep a cyclical rebound. Um, So you're seeing buyers not look to average EBITDA over multiple years versus a recent period, understanding that um, anything that does come off of that peak will be more muted. And you're also seeing sellers realize that, yes, prices and rates are elevated, and they're being more sensible at what multiples uh, they're looking to achieve, which is, I think, a big contributor right now on why you're seeing not only the strategics that have been involved in M&A do more and more deals, but you're also seeing corporates like Ashley and American Eagle Outfitters um, come into the markets, and you're also seeing financial buyers or private equity firms uh, come in where they have been a little more shy in years past because of the asset intensive nature. Of, of trucking operations.
0: It's, it's heavy asset, people are buying them up. Ashley was a really great example you brought up about how um, you got a little extra money, you only just buy them and incorporate them versus having to deal with them. Kind of want to switch gears a little bit because there's a really cool quote. I'm a, I, was, uh, I put this at the beginning of my questions, but I wanted to throw it out. Uh, you all actually came from a large trucking company and you're starting a tech startup right now uh, with freight brokerage and you're using technology. And that's kind of the, the the final big topic I want to talk about is, is technology a potential solution? And so looking at it, I know it was mentioned that uh, when we had you all for an interview, uh, basically, one of the quotes was, brokers had traditionally used their tech to fix their gross margins, regardless of the market conditions, and shippers and carriers are riding the rails. And so Given that example, do you think that maybe factors like brokers are, are contributing it because they're going fast with technology? Um, Shannon, first off, like what was one of the big things making Freight Vana? Is that something where brokers can help carriers?
2: Yeah, we believe so. And Hey, part of our motto or mission is to be trusted and transparent, right? You'll see it in our slogan, um, words sell cheap though. Right. And so we've set up our systems and our teams, um, and, and everything that our team does around those two components, um, I think it's an interesting time, right? We've seen such a large investment stream, which you've covered, uh, of dollars coming into the space. Uh, but the reality is the uh, variability of the marketplace is higher than it's ever been. And I think it would be our thesis, both John and I's, um, in creating Freightvana, that hey, the participants that talk about, once again, those those headwinds are actually the ones capitalizing the most from the disruptions in the marketplace. So... If you're looking for someone to be strategic to partner with you to bring solutions that help you uh, do better than the the top ends of the market then you've got to have someone that's got better alignment um to your needs and goals and so that's where we've been really successful with our model uh, thomas um and the shippers that we work with and at the same time you've got carriers that have lived the cycles and they want to find a partner that'll give them strategic opportunities with consistency because they can see and have been a part of markets that start to fall off. And then they know what that churn does for their networks, for their drivers. And so, you know, even as the last few weeks and last few months, we've seen carriers reach out to us saying, hey, I get the markets really high, but I can see, you know, certain chinks in that market. And I don't want to do what happened in 19. What types of deals could you give me that are consistent and reliable? Um, And that's where really we want to show up and be different uh, from a third party perspective.
0: And I think that brings some great point. You all recently acquired uh, some equipment, trailers as well. You're working on trailer pools that has been used to a very large extent as a great way to help out carriers. And this is kind of John as well, looking at the finance and the strategy. Do you think this is an opportunity for brokers to help now that equipment's in a bad situation, can third parties come in and help kind of provide that extra on top? Not only are y'all benefiting from it, but, you know, help out in terms of equipment staff sh- shortages.
1: Yeah, I think at trailer ratios that you typically need to operationalize most freight, uh, you asked a question before about equipment availability and whether a trucking company is just starting off or in its 10th year of operation, they look to either invest or reinvest at a level where they're spending as much on trailers, if not more than they are on on the power unit behind it. So coming in and, and giving an option that operationalizes really well and reduces the investment for a carrier um, that they need to think about shouldering uh, to run their business, uh, we do think is, is very strategic um, in our carrier relationships, as well as adding um, operational improvement uh, for, for the shippers. So we're really excited about our power-only product, um, how we go to market with that, and it's been very well received thus far.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, final quick question, got a few seconds left. We still got to buy or can we grow? Is there hope for Shannon? What do you say?
2: I think if you want to grow
1: quickly and strategically, you got to buy.
0: Got to buy. John, buy or grow?
1: I think right now in nice, stable markets, you benefit from having a good acquisition strategy.
0: Got to buy for now. Uh, You can check them out on LinkedIn and also at FreightWaves.io. That's wrap for the show today. I'm your host, Thomas Watson. Join us next week for another wonderful episode, and we'll do it live.